The Reverend Victoria Safford, who's a Unitarian Universalist minister in Minnesota, she tells a story of a young girl playing on a playground one day gets stung by bees. And weeks later, after the pain has subsided, the welts have gone away, this little girl, out of nowhere, will keep asking, why was I stung by bees? Why was I stung by bees? And she keeps asking because she is, like so many of us, kind of uncomfortable with not knowing. Her three-year-old self can't really make sense of the incident without knowing why. Were they mean bees? No, they weren't mean bees. Are bees bad? No, bees aren't bad. Are they supposed to sting us? Mm, Not exactly. Well, then why was I stung by bees? You know, we, we pursue these questions, again, because we're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable with ambiguity. Victoria Safford suggests we are caught up in this illusion of cause and effect so that we can get our bearings in the world, so we can make sense of the world that's going on around us. And these questions, these questions are important, to be sure. Our wanderings and wonderings about the why and the how of the world, these questions have built civilizations. They built cultures and religions and philosophies, arts, science, right? And even as we have done all this building from our questions, our biggest, our biggest questions remain unanswered. Or just when we think we found the answer to one of these questions, underneath are just more questions. And sometimes our best answers are terribly inadequate. In fact, there are those who would say the inadequacy of our answers continues to perpetuate our suffering and pain. Today's Spirit Flicks movie, um, Prometheus, is in some ways entering into this landscape of the big questions. And it tells the story about some scientists in the not-too-distant future traveling to a remote planet, seeking the answers to the very origins of life. Now, the film is Ridley Scott's possible prequel to his 1979 film, Alien. Now, for those of you who saw Alien, either the original or the following ones, I will say that the connections of this film to Alien are pretty tenuous. But the movie, I will say, is quite beautiful to watch. And it really has those moments of summer movie action and horror that kind of make it a lot of fun, too. And the movie does raise some interesting theological questions, however, annoyingly, leaves them all unanswered. So the, the Prometheus movie, it's, it's rife with all this creation mythology, okay? 
It begins with this allusion to the creation of life on earth as sort of a ritual sacrifice of an alien being whose DNA scatters into the primordial earth and eventually gives rise to human beings. And the movie then flashes forward a few millennia where we find these scientists have discovered a pictogram, a a piece of art in cultures all over the world, cultures that were disconnected from each other, all showing this, this huge creature pointing to the stars. And it's the same image in all these, in all these places. And so they determine somehow that this is an invitation from our alien ancestors to come and visit. And since they have determined that these creatures are somehow the source of life on Earth, they refer to the aliens as engineers, and off they go into space to meet their makers. (laughs) Full of questions. Who are these creatures, of course? What is their connection to human life? Why did they make us, and for what purpose? Questions full of hope to finally understand their ultimate questions as they sail through the cosmos on a spaceship called Prometheus. Now, the name of their ship should have tipped them off (laughs) to the inherent risks involved in their quest for answers. You see, as you might remember, in, in Greek mythology, Prometheus was a titan, and he is credited with forming man from mud creating man, and then stealing fire from the gods to give to man. And the gods weren't too terribly happy about this theft. And Zeus has Prometheus chained to a rock. And every day, an eagle would come and tear out his liver. And being immortal every night, it would heal up, only to have the eagle come again the next day. An eternity of torture. And this myth... This Prometheus myth is considered to be sort of a metaphor for our human striving, our, our quest for scientific knowledge, technological knowledge, and the inherent risks of overreaching and those unintended consequences. Alas, Ridley Scott scientists hurtle through space to meet with the engineers with little regard to the unintended consequences. Disappointed they are then when... They arrive at the designated meeting spot and find all of the engineers apparently dead, apparently long dead. Skeletons are all that remain, and these odd vessels of some mysterious black goo. And without giving away too much, things, of course, go terribly wrong. (laughs) And with a mix of hubris and really outright stupidity... The humans and that one android, there always has to be that one android. The humans and the android in this story make a really bad situation much, much worse. And well, let's just say at the end of the movie, all we're left with is our questions and the opening for a sequel. (laughs) Now, one of the criticisms of this film stems from the fact that as viewers of the story, we're really given no reason to care about the characters on the screen. And so as they die off, mostly due to their own stupidity, the horror of the events events really kind of gets muted. 
And see, I don't think we care about these characters because they don't really care about each other. Each person, and even the android on the Prometheus, has a singular self-centered purpose. They are disconnected from each other. And the lead character is seeking only the definitive source of their being. There is one act, one single moment of connection, of intimacy between two of the characters that had a chance. But you know what? Even that scene was so, they were so disconnected and so self-serving that when one of those characters dies a few scenes later, we don't really have any empathy for the ones he left behind. Perhaps, I think, if the crew of the Prometheus had cared for each other as much as they cared for their pursuit of knowledge or their pursuit of money or their pursuit of revenge and jealousy, all of which was there, perhaps their fate would have been different. It would have been a different movie. You know, the scientists aboard the Prometheus remind me of this little girl lost in the wondering of why she was stung by bees. The scientists lost in their questions, who are the engineers, why did they make us, what is the purpose? They were trapped in their wondering, disconnected from each other, and they failed to see the reality of their situation, that their purpose might just be to be present to one another. Reverend Safford proposes there is a far more serious an echoing question rather than asking why. She says the question really should be, so what are you going to do now? So for our little girl, if she were to change the question from why was I stung by bees, perhaps her questions would be like, why will I still be scared of bees? Will I stand in my fear of bees and completely forget the joy of the playground? Or will I teach others about both the wonders and the dangers of bees? Will I comfort a friend who has been stung? Who will I be in the world knowing that there are bees that are not bad? They're not mean. They're not really supposed to sting us, but sometimes do anyway. And I can imagine if our scientists aboard the Prometheus changed their questions from why and how to who am I to the others on this journey? How might I be present with the mystery before me and remain present to the people around me? Who will I be in this world knowing that my ultimate questions may never be answered. I spent about a year working at a place called Children and Family Urban Ministries in Des Moines, Iowa. This was a, an organization dedicated to serving a particular uh, economically challenged part of Des Moines and the children that lived in this neighborhood. And I remember there was a kid there. His name was, uh, his name was Marcus. Um, and in almost every interaction I had seen Marcus in, he occurred to me, well, you know, Marcus was just mean. He was just mean. He was kind of this bully in the making. And I would watch him, and he would get this 
mean kid's sneer on his face as he scanned the room looking for someone to pick on. And I have to admit, right away, I didn't like him. And then one day, we were on the playground, and the kids were playing, and Marcus had just kicked some kid in the shin, and we had put him in a timeout on a bench. And I'm standing next to my supervisor, and I said, what is the deal with Marcus? What is his story? And she sighed. Well, Greg, he hasn't had it easy, that's for sure. You see, a couple years after Marcus was born, his mother completed suicide. And then a, a year or so after that, he had an older brother who died of cancer. And then a couple years after that, his dad was found to be dealing methamphetamine out of his house. So Marcus was taken from the home, taken from his family, put in the custody of another family. And, you know, as she tells me this story, it's like this kick in the gut. And I want to scream. But I didn't. Instead, I just closed my eyes and I offered sort of a silent prayer. You know, can we please say that this child has had enough? Can we please give this kid a pass on all future pain and suffering so that he has a chance to heal from these last seven or eight years? As we left the playground that evening, heading in for dinner, I really began to see Marcus much more tenderly. From one moment, he was one of the meanest kids that I thought I'd ever met. And then the next, he was one of the most vulnerable, one of the most precious. And for me to get there, from mean to precious, meant that I had to get really comfortable with some ambiguity, to get comfortable with the vast unknowing. I had to learn, instead, who this boy was, here, now, in the present. And I realized that my how and why questions were inadequate. I had to ask myself who I was going to be in the child's life now. You know, if I had blinked, or I had turned away from his sorrow, I would have missed it. I would have missed the chance to make even the smallest difference in this kid's life. I would have missed the chance to be one of the few people in the world who sought to be his friend simply as he was. Not the boy I wished him to be. Not the boy I hoped he would be but the child as he was. Yes, full of pain and fear and suffering. But you know what else? Also full of joy and hope and promise. You know, my big questions, why were these children 
living in poverty and how am I supposed to be able to do anything about it? They all had to fall away. My wondering, my judgment of why Marcus was so mean, those questions, those searches into my vast unknowing had become barriers to an authentic relationship. And when I shifted from the why to the what will I do now, it became possible for me to be present with these kids simply as they are. Simply present, aware, and at peace with them. And it occurs to me we have that same possibility right here at Wellsprings. The possibility to be with each other in community, to learn each other's stories. Here, we learn to practice, as we say, with humility and generosity of spirit, a way of challenging each other in our explorations so that we may together discover new understandings of our spiritual source, new understandings of ourselves. We need not board the Prometheus alone and disconnected into the vast cosmos to seek out the answers to our questions. When we connect our stories one to another, we connect our lives to each other. And in that connection, we find compassion and love, not only for each other, but for ourselves. One of the core beliefs at Wellsprings is that as we cultivate our spiritual awareness through our experiences, and especially through our relationships, we become more aware of how life, how the spirit, how God calls our, us to be in the world. And God is calling now. And as we connect ourselves one to another, we find ourselves called to connect more deeply to those around us who are suffering. Those around us who are in pain. You know, we have developed this wonderful practice of spiritual connection within Wellsprings, and we've developed it really quite well. And for many of us, it is time to carry that practice out into the larger community. Reverend Ken mentioned last week that we have an opportunity to consider how we might link our spiritual practice of connection beyond Wellsprings. And we are entering a time of discernment to find a community partner that serves the economically challenged right here in Chester Springs. A partner to whom we can offer our money, yes, but more so, a partner to whom we can offer what I believe is our greatest gift, and that is this gift of spiritual connection to another human being. A connection to those who necessarily live in ways that we don't understand. But because we are living to li- learning to live our lives with humility and generosity of spirit, the connections we can make with others will, I know, it will lead us to discover new understandings 
of our spiritual source. Isn't that exciting? I mean, don't you want to do that? Don't you want to go out and connect with people that you don't know, that you don't understand? And maybe, maybe, not just maybe, just absolutely you are going to find new understandings of yourself and new understandings of the source of your spirit. And I invite all of us to enter into these partnerships, perhaps leaving our big why questions aside. You know, those big why questions like, who made the world broken and suffering and why? Reverend Safford reminds us of a simple fact. The world was made. Gorgeous and tender, broken, and dangerous. We know not why. We know not why. But the real religious questions, the real religious questions that get to the core, they open up wide. They open up wide and holy, exciting and dangerous, urgent, but also comforting and sustaining. These questions, they open up when we accept the mystery. We accept our vast unknowing and then move in or reverently move on. The world was made gorgeous, tender, broken, dangerous. We don't know why. How now shall we live in it, you and I and all of us? Amen. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, source of our spirit and being, we are grateful for this day, for these people who help us to know more, to know more of ourselves, to know more compassion, to know more love. May we take these practices into the world to connect ourselves and our stories to everyone we may meet so that we can grow, so that we can touch the spirit in ourselves and in others. Amen.